Yes, Lord, we we want to fall in love with you more and more. Lord, we want to say that we love you, Lord, with our heart and mind, soul and strength. Lord, grow in us as a community, that heart of love, that heart of love for you, and a heart of love for each other and for those beyond our walls, Lord, we pray. Help us to be a community defined by love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you're in the church building, uh, um, you can sit down if you're home, you can do whatever you want. I don't want to stay down for the whole tour. I'm not even doing exercise by it. So, let's gather now uh, around God's Word together. So, if you put your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're moving through the book of 1 Thessalonians and we're considering as the church emerges out of uh, the season of lockdown what it means to be church, what it means to be a community of people that are seeking to follow Jesus in this book of 1 Thessalonians to lockdown. So, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the first 16 verses. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we made does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our heart. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you, nor anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. Surely, you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship, we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. 
They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always keep up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them otherwise. This is God's word that we uh, sit under today and we ask for God now to transform us through it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for us as a community that we would receive the Word of God, that we would hear the Word of God and accept it, not as the Word of men, but as it actually is the Word of God. And Lord, may this Word transform us, as it says in our passage today, that as it actually is the Word of God, which is at work in you, you believe. Lord, we pray that your holy work would be at work in our hearts and our minds today, in the lives of all those who believe in you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, well, whether it's been a source of great joy for you or a source of great frustration, there's no escaping that the Europe's are now taking place. It's everywhere, isn't it? TV, it's all over the news, it's all over the airways, it's all full of football. And it's not just the matches that are catching our attention, there are a number of smaller subplots that are happening, just sparking people's attentions. My favourite this week is what has become known as the Bottle Saga. I don't know if you've uh, seen anything of the Bottle Saga. Uh, for those who may have missed it, it all began uh, with uh, a really famous footballer called Cristiano Ronaldo, and he uh, entered into a press conference, and as he did so, he surreptitiously took two of the bottles of Coca-Cola, which were put there by Coca-Cola to advertise in one of the sponsors. He took the two bottles down and, uh, and just put them to the side, just off camera. This was followed shortly afterwards by another interview done by the French midfielder Paul Pogba, and, uh, and he, again, Heineken is another sponsor of the Euros, and there's a lot of Heineken in front of him, and again, he just put the, the bottle of Heineken down and just put it off shot. And a number of other players have been uh, picking up on this and have been uh, having fun moving the bottles around. And, uh, however, my favourite happens to be uh, the Russian manager. I don't know if any of you have seen what the Russian manager did. He seems to be blissfully unaware of the bottle saga. Either that, or he was just simply too thirsty to care anything about it. He got two of the bottles of Coca-Cola, yeah, looked around for a bottle over it, couldn't find one, so he just used one to crack open the bottle of one and drink a bottle of Coca-Cola before he put the lid back on. And there you go. Uh, he certainly wasn't making any kind of political statement himself. But when Cristiano Ronaldo took those two bottles down and he put them to the side and he got his own bottle of water and just lifted it up and he said one word, he said agua, which means water in Portuguese. That one word, that one gesture caused or coincided with the share price of Coca-Cola dropping in four billion dollars in one day. Four billion dollars. One word, one gesture. Now that is influence, isn't it? It's a great 
deal of influence. But the truth is, we all have influence. Every one of us has influence. Maybe not the global scope of Christianity now, but we all have influence in those that we live and work amongst our friends, our family, our work colleagues, those on the school gates, those we interact with in social media. We all have influence. And those that are closer to us are going to be inf- uh, affected more by our influence than the influence of any footballer or any celebrity. We have great influence. Maybe not the scope in terms of depth of influence. We all have great influence. In a way, we are all leaders because we all influence others. We all have influence, and that is why integrity matters. Integrity matters. People want to know that we're the same person at home as we are in public, that our walk matches our talk. Particularly as Christians, integrity matters. And that's the first of our three points I want to draw our attention to in the passage today. Integrity matters. We need to live with integrity. Last week, uh, we started a new sermon series, didn't we, on this book of 1 Thessalonians. And I shared a little bit about the historical context in which this letter was first written. That the Apostle Paul and his two trusted companions, Silas and Timothy, had been sharing the good news all around this area. And they'd stayed in the city of Thessalonica uh, for three consecutive Sundays at least, and shared the good news of Jesus with them. But because many of them felt this sort of upset the status quo, religious leaders at the time didn't want them sharing the news about Jesus. And so they roused a crowd, there was a, a rally, a, a mob together, uh, there was a public riot, uh, legal charges were being brought against these missionaries. And so basically they had to take a humiliating night fight out of the city. We read all about this in Acts 17. Now, Paul's critics took full advantage of their night flight. And they began a sneer campaign all against Paul. And we're reading, we're reading that the consequences of this smear campaign in this chapter today, chapter 2. We can infer what they were saying, what Paul's critics were saying about Paul. They were saying things like, oh, his night flight proves that he was just insincere. It was only sharing the message because it suited his own selfish interests. He didn't walk the tour. He was just here for a fast book about what he could get out of it in terms of his own power and prestige. It was all about himself and his own ego. And that by fleeing the city, he showed you his true colours. That he was not there to evangelise you, he was there to exploit you. And so Paul, here, is refuting their claims. Not so much defending himself as if it's some kind of exercise of morality. It's not the Paul that we have. We read elsewhere, there he is, I'm not here to please you, please God. He's defending himself against the claims, not because he wants to defend himself and his own ego, but because he wants to defend the message that he is bringing to them. And he understands that if his character is undermined, the gospel that he's sharing is undermined too. And he loves the people of Thessalonica way too much to allow them to lose the life-giving message of Jesus. 
And so in these verses that we read today, we have Paul giving a simple but very powerful defence against the false accusations of his critics. And they are false accusations. And his simple line of argument is this. All he's saying in defence is this. Look at my life of integrity. Look at my life of integrity. In these few short verses, Paul says, not once, but five times, this phrase, or a phrase very similar to it, you know, you know me. You know, he appeals to the people who received the message, and he says, you know that what they're accusing me of is simply not who I am. You know me better than this. Let's pick up on these verses. In verse 1, Paul says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. They were saying, oh, it was a complete failure. Why we are? You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. They were saying, oh, we just there to, you know. He says, no, you know we never use flattery, nor do we put up a mask to cover up our greed. God is our witness. Verse 5. Verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. He says, it's not about the money. It's not about the ego. You know that I worked hard on you. Verse 10, you are our witnesses, and so is God, about how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. Verse 11, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live a life worthy of God. You know. You know, you know, this is Paul's refrain. The question is, for us, is could we say these words? If false accusations were being brought to us, could we say these words? Are we living with this kind of integrity in our day-to-day life? Integrity matters. It's the small things that you do that you maybe think that no one will ever notice. So like going to the shop and the shop person gives you uh, uh, money that you don't deserve and you change for a £20 note instead of a £10 note. And you could walk out there. But you know, that's where integrity starts. It starts with the small things. We need to challenge ourselves to live lives of integrity. This is a message for every Christian, for every disciple, because all of us has a front line. Whether we go to work or whether we don't go to work, we all have a front line. We all live and serve amongst those who don't know Jesus. And people will read our lives before they pick up this book and read the gospel. How we live matters. Our integrity matters. But I also want to say at this point, we all mess up. I know I mess up. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners, and I want to challenge Paul. I think I own that pride. I am the chief of sinners. I mess up time and time again, and sometimes I have to get on my knees before God and say, God, I'm so disappointed in myself. I feel as if I've let you down. I've, I've let myself down. But more than that, I've let your gospel down. I feel as if, actually, you know, the, the actions that I've done has, has let you down, has, has, has undermined the gospel in some way. But at times like that, we need to remember that we have a gospel of grace 
and forgiveness. And God promises us that because of the finished work of the cross, that there is forgiveness for everyone who truly repents and intends to live a new life. If we confess our failures and seek God and His forgiveness, then He is faithful and He will forgive us. And because of that, we need to learn to forgive ourselves. But this does not mean that how we live our lives doesn't matter. We are naive if we think that people are not watching us. People are watching us all the time. If they know you're a Christian, they are watching you. And integrity matters. And so let us live lives of integrity. Let us resolve from this day forward to live lives of integrity. That's our first point. Live with integrity. Our second point from our passage today is speak truth. Speak truth. Earlier this week I read part of a book which was first published back in 1890. It was written by a guy called William Booth. Some of you may have heard of William Booth. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. Now this book that he read wrote was widely read and very influential. And many of the pioneering uh, ideas that are found in its pages were implemented in the 20th century as Booth encouraged Christians to reach out in social actions into their communities and to set up ambitious projects to help the poor, to help ex-prisoners, to help the homeless. But this is the paragraph out of the book that, that, that struck me as I read it. So this, I consider that the chief dangers that confront the coming century will be religion without hosting, Christianity without cross, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. These words could not be more relevant for us today. Written back many, many, many centuries, a couple of centuries ago, they are relevant to us today. As I stand up here every Sunday morning, you know, how easy, and it's not just me, it's all of us, it's all of us, how we speak about Jesus out in our own lives. It's a form of Christianity without the exclusivity of Christ. To, to forget to mention that Jesus says such bold claims, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through Jesus. Not all religions lead to the same place. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. How easy is it us to settle for religion without the Holy Spirit? But we go through the actions, but we don't invite the Holy Spirit to bring life to our worship. How easy it is for me and for us to speak about forgiveness and yet fail to mention the necessary step of repentance and confession. How easy is it to speak of the gift of salvation, to speak of all the benefits, without challenging people to live changed lives, to have, as William Booth would put it, salvation without regeneration. How easy it is for us to conveniently overlook a 
and fail to challenge some of the social evils of our times. And to say that politics and faith should have mixed, to say that we really shouldn't, you know, be discussing things like, you know, the international aid budget being cut, or, you know, yes, we're doing well in this country with all relaxation, you know, efforts, but how about those other poorer countries that desperately need vaccines? To say that faith and politics, you know, these things shouldn't mix. How easy it is to speak about the joy of eternal life and the gift of heaven. I failed to mention the horrific reality of hell for those who choose to reject Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, we are called not to please men, as Paul says. We're not meant to be pleasing men. We don't fear being one, one person. We either fear God, we either love God, or we fear men. How easy it is to, to, to fail to speak truth. That we only speak of the joy of accepting Jesus, but never mention the cost of discipleship. And to do this is a disservice to others. We're not speaking the whole truth to them. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not ours to alter. It's not our own little toy that we can tinker with and tweak as we see fit. It's God's gospel, it's his word, and we are stewards and heralds of it. In this passage, we see the first bit, Paul talking about himself as being a sort of steward. He's there, it's not his message, he's meant to look after it and keep it as it is. And then he's talking about, he's also a herald, that he's meant to sort of speak it. And that's our role. We are both stewards and heralds. We see this in our passage today. The Apostle Paul understands himself as the steward of God's word. Verse 4, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are entrusted with the gospel. It's not ours to distort. We cannot choose to ignore certain sections that we might not agree with, that we don't think fits with our 21st century culture, or chatter, or find elements that we just find, you know, that's just too challenging for me. I'm going to skip over that part of the Bible. Actually, it's God's gospel. And Paul reiterates this time and time again to look about how he always speaks about the gospel. Verse 2, with the help of God, we dare to tell you his gospel. Verse 8, we would like to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Verse 9, we preach the gospel of God to you, not the gospel of David, the gospel of God. Verse 13, you receive the word of God. Paul is saying that this is not something I've made up. This is God's message to the world. What we have here is the unchanging message of God to the world. And like Paul, Silas and Timothy, we too have been entrusted with God's message. And we are called to be heralds and proclaim it. And we are called to speak truth and not twist the message. Oh, in a way, it's the like to be a good postman. And a postman delivers your letters. The last thing you want a postman to be doing is saying, oh, I'm just going to fiddle with that letter. Oh, we don't need that bit. I'm going to take that bit out. I'm gonna... No, the postman's just meant to deliver the whole message untampered with, completely unfiddled with. We need to be aware that we don't distort the gospel to please others. This is what the Apostle Paul says. First of all, we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. 
hearts. Verse 6. We're not looking for praise from men, not from you, nor from anyone else. Paul only wants to please God, and this is why he spoke the truth. He shared the gospel of God. Live with integrity. Secondly, speak truth. Thirdly, show love. Show love. You see, the danger of being clear upon our responsibility to speak truth is that we can also forget we have an equally important responsibility to show love. These two things, truth and love, are not alternatives, they are part of the same thing. We are meant to hold them together. You see, every person out there falls somewhere between this sliding scale of people who like to speak truth and people who are more inclined to show love. There are some people out there that are so eager and naturally inclined and feel it's their duty to uphold the truth, that they will say the truth no matter how little love they show in the process of doing it. And there are others over there that are so eager to show love that they're so eager not to offend anyone that they never actually speak the truth. And ultimately, this is doing huge harm to a generation. Neither of these two options is the Jesus way. Jesus speaks both truth and love. I mean, we see this time and again. I digress here, but when Jesus walks up to Lazarus when he's died and he's in the tombs, he's confronted by two, uh, two women, and these two women come out, and these two women ask him exactly the same question. And to one of them, he says, Sir, if he was here, he would not die. And to one of them, he speaks truth. He says, I am the resurrection of life. He knows her and he speaks truth. And to the other one, he weeps. He shows love to her. Jesus is the perfect epitome. He knows when he needs to speak truth and he knows when he needs to show love. And we need to grow to be more like Jesus. Likewise, the challenge for us is to, to speak love truth and to show love. I want you to think for a moment, where do you naturally lie along that spectrum? Are you more towards the speaking truth end of the spectrum? That you might you know, be too eager to say the truth that you, you know, sometimes don't show a little love? And then are you more at this, this, this side of the spectrum? Are you too eager to show love that you have to never actually speak truth to people and this harm them in the long term? And I want us to challenge each other. If you know you lean towards, if you know you lean towards showing love, challenge yourselves to actually show greater love by speaking truth at times. If you know you lean towards speaking truth, challenge yourselves to show more love. The Apostle Paul is the one who could both speak truth and show love. Sometimes he gets quite a bad press, someone who's only interested in speaking God's truth. But in this letter, we clearly see the pastor's heart of love. When speaking of his love and affection, he's writing stuff that, that is probably far too soppy, that he won't appear in any father's day parts today. You know, he, he is using metaphors of both motherly and fatherly love. Verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See how much he's showing love to them. A mother's love, gentle, 
and caring. This is the kind of love that we show to others. And a father's love. What a beautiful image this father's day. Verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. This Father's Day, let us celebrate the love of fathers and father figures in our lives. A love that encourages us, that comforts us, that urges us to be all that God has designed us to be. And let us also challenge ourselves this Father's Day to show a Father's love to others. May we encourage one another. Encouragement. It's the, it's the easiest gift to give. And it's the gift that so many people need. Gift of encouragement to build others or because there's nothing and yet it fills the hearts of others. Comforting those in need. Spurring one another on to live lives worthy of God. May we be challenged and encouraged by the words, not of men, but of God this morning that we've been looking at. These, scripture is the word of God. May we live with integrity, speak truth, and show love. And to do this, as the land starts coming down, uh, we need the Holy Spirit. As those words of William Booth uh, reminded us, we must not settle for religion without the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the source of both truth and love. The Holy Spirit enables us to balance this truth and love perfectly. It says in John's Gospel that when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide us in all truth. He refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. But also in the same Gospel, John refers to the Holy Spirit as a paracletos, which is a Greek word, which means the counsellor, the comforter, the one who draws alongside to encourage, to love, to care, to comfort. And as Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, what's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit brings truth and it brings love. And if we want to be people who live in integrity, who speak truth and who show love, there is no greater need for us than to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So on this note, let us stand wherever we may be and invite the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh this morning and then we move into a time of worship.
this place with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to put a stake in the ground now, but we do not want to settle for religion without the Holy Spirit. Lord, Holy Spirit, come have your way with us. This is your building. You have free reign amongst us. We open our hearts to you this morning. And we invite you to change us. We invite you to stir us. We invite you to form us and to use us. Come Holy Spirit and move amongst us.